Bibles to Jude chapter uh, Jude 12 Jude 12 we're going to look at verses 12 through 19 this morning as we get close to the completion of this little letter but Jude's going to speak to us this morning about apostates that are depraved doomed and predicted in verses 12 through 13 Jude uses some different figures from nature to describe his godless enemies. And he uses a variety of descriptions. That is, descriptions that are powerful and that are right on target. And they help the readers to recognize these men who are perverting God's truth. So let's begin with verses 12 to 13. <clears throat> and Jude says, these are spots. When he talks about these, he's talking about the apostate. These are spots or these apostates are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars uh, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So Jude gives here in verses 12 through 13, five increasingly threatening facts about these apostates. As he talks about these men, he first says they're very deceptive. He says they're spots in your love feast. Now, what was a love feast? A love feast was a meal that the early Christians would share with each other. All right. When they gathered together for fellowship and the Lord's Supper. And the purpose of these love feasts was to remember Jesus. It, basically a memorial. It's like, you know, a lot of times when, you know, we lose loved ones, maybe a year after their departure, we'll celebrate, you know, remembering them. We'll have a memorial or a gathering of some kind, uh, whatever it might be. But it's basically a memorial. Jesus was, you know, gone from the earth. He ascended a father in heaven. And so th these love feasts were to, uh, again, be a remember of Christ, remembrance of Christ. And it was to encourage his disciples because being gone, you know, out of their physical, you know, they they a lot of people need something physical to touch, but or to see. But Jesus uh, was was better off for us, that is, you know, in heaven where we learn to depend upon faith and to walk by faith. So they would gather together to remember Christ, to encourage each other and to share God's provisions with those who are in need. Jude says here. When they feast with you, they feed themselves without fear. Now, in Jude's day, in the ancient East, when you sat at the table with somebody and you ate with somebody, it implied there was a bond of friendship with those people, a bond of fellowship. Again, normally you wouldn't sit and eat with your enemy. In the East, people wouldn't eat with somebody that they were intending to betray. So the sin of the apostates that Jude is talking about here is made worse by the fact that they would use every possible way to say they were one with you. And said that when they were actually rebelling against you and betraying you. In Jude's day, the apostates continued to seek oneness. Again, they, they were seeking, trying to be, you know, make themselves one with the true believers by putting on this show of being really sincere and a hearty, having a good hearty fellowship at these love feasts of the early church. The word spots there. In verse 1, when he talks about these are spots, 
The word spots means a ledge or reef of rock in the sea. And it refers to something you can't see. So these guys were hidden dangers. It's a hidden danger that, that Jude is talking about that these men were. Jude wants us to understand what a terrible danger apostates are to the church. And that's what they were in Jude's day. Effectively spoiling the beautiful love feasts that the Christians would gather for that were such a basic part of the fellowship of the early church. And at these love feasts, the wealthier members of the church would bring, you know, from their abundance enough to meet the needs of the poor who didn't have anything. Whether they were rich or poor, educated or uneducated, masters or slaves, they all shared what they had together in this fellowship meal. Now, the apostates, these deceptive people, they would come, they would attend, and they would take advantage of the gathering so that they would try to pass themselves off as members in good standing of the body of Christ. And Jude says here, they feast with you without fear. The word feast means to entertain sumptuously, to revel, to celebrate. So they'd come to these feasts and, and they'd, just, they'd, they'd help themselves and they'd celebrate this feast just like they were one of the other believers. The apostates were doing everything they possibly could to get in good with the church and to have an influence on the people. But the influence was for evil. Outwardly, they were playing the part of having a good and honest fellowship. The word feeding in the old King James is translated serving in the new King James. It means to tend as a shepherd, like a pastor, to be like a shepherd taking care of a flock, like Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 1 when he restored him to ministry. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus said to Peter, I want you to go out there. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of them. I want you to tend to them, to shepherd them apostates pretend to be spiritual shepherds they pretend to be shepherds they pretend to want to do right to you but they're really false shepherds just looking out for themselves notice how they do it jude said without fear they're not afraid they have no conscience they have no shame about being phonies and they show that and they show that they're putting on in front of the unknowing members of the church in other words apostates in the church are deceptive all right, they're deceptive. They're like the hidden ledge or reef of rock that's under the sea, ready to shipwreck the church. They take, an adva- they take advantage of the, of the unknowing, the innocent, and they act like they're caring shepherds of the flock because they're so full of themselves and they're so sure of themselves, they have no idea, the people have no idea that God's judgment is waiting for them. These apostates have no idea that God's judgment is waiting for them. And these apostates, they give the impression that they're caring and and that they're one of the flock, but they don't deliver. Secondly, Jude says in verse 12, look, he says they're like clouds without water carried about by the winds. Jude uses the illustration of them being dry and thirsty ground, just thirsty for rain. The earth is dry. It's scorched hard and dry. There's no rain in sight. The sky is clear. The sun, the sun is bright. It's hot out. There's not a cloud in sight. Choking dust is blowing everywhere. All of a sudden, you know, the, you know and again, he's using this illustration. All of a sudden, you know, there's, there's, there's a glimmer of hope. Why? There's a cloud off in the distance. There's hope because, you see, this cloud's going to bring shade. The temperature's going to drop. This is great. 
the crops are going to get the rain that they need. The cattle are going to get the water that they need. But then all of a sudden, the cloud lets them down. The cloud just passes overhead. It goes across the sky until it's out of sight. The sun is back. The scorching heat is back. Their hope is gone. You see, and that was the, 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 how these, these false um, teachers, these false pastors, if you will, these apostates, were represent, they, 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 it, it looked like they had hope for the people. But the, they were like these clouds without water. They would pass by and it would not give what it was needed. The hope was gone. How sad for the people who would sit in churches, and there's, there's a lot of them today. How people will sit in churches eh, who trust such deceptive pastors in the pulpit. They sound promising. They sound convincing. They sound like they're saying what they're supposed to say. You know, many of them, they're, they're, they're funny, they're well-spoken, they're great storytellers, they're popular, they have so much going on. And it's amazing how many people will go to church just to hear somebody tell them funny stories. Great stories. Oh, they're popular. Oh, they have, they're so cool, they have so much going on. And yet they don't tell them about Jesus Christ. They don't tell them the gospel of which they need to hear. They teach rational, ra- rationality. They don't teach revelation. They teach psychology and not the work of the Holy Spirit. No, they say, these guys say, oh, just be good and don't take faith in the Bible so serious. The thirsty people who need Jesus Christ, who look excitedly to them for that life-giving living water, they look to them in vain. Because these guys, they don't have anything to offer from the pulpit, so they can't give you anything that will bring life to a dying world. Thirdly, Jude says in verse 12, the apostates are like trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. In other words, they're spiritually dead. There's no life in them, no spiritual life in them. This speaks of trees that don't bear fruit in the season that they're supposed to. Now, what good is a fruitless tree? Why would you want one? Jude says they're twice dead. Twice dead because, number one, they're dead because of the fallen nature that was passed on to them by Adam. Secondly, they're dead when offered the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, and they reject his offer. The only thing to do with them, a dead tree, is what? Pull them up by the roots. Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, And I am him bears much fruit for without me. Notice Jesus said without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they are gathered. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. You see, this relationship between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be created. In other words, it's the whole secret of the branch's life. As long as that branch is attached to the main stem, that branch will have life, it will have strength, it will have vigor, beauty, and fertility. But when that branch is separated from the main stem, it has no life of its own. The sap and the juice that flows from that stem, that main stem, which is the source, and it's the maintaining power of all of its leaves, buds, and blossoms, and fruit, when it is separated, all that will die. When that branch is cut off from the stem, it has to soon wither and die. And that's what Jesus says. When you're cut off from him, you're going to wither and die because he's the main source of strength and and, and all that is is necessary 
So that union between Jesus and believers is as close as you can get. Okay? All that they have of spiritual religion, it comes from Jesus Christ. You see, they are what they are. And they feel what they feel and they do what they do because, you see, they draw a continual supply of grace and help and ability out of Jesus Christ. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in a mysterious union with him through the Holy Spirit, they stand and they walk and they continue and they run the Christian race. But every little bit of good about them is drawn from their spiritual head, which is Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any lasting value. There's no hope for them at all without Jesus Christ. It's impossible that they will ever bear fruit. They're not just dead, they're also damned. Apart from Jesus Christ. Fourthly, Jude lets us know that the apostates are very dangerous. Notice Jude says that they're like, in verse 13, the raging sea foaming up their own shame. Now, many of us have seen the power and the devastation that results from hurricanes and tsunamis. Okay, the, the, the ocean become, the, can, can become very, very powerful, very powerful. And, you know, one of my favorite programs is, is the deadliest catch. And they're catch, uh, crab fishermen on the Bering Sea. Now, every time you see that, they do the same thing. They're fishing for crab. I am, ju- I am just enthralled by the, the, the sea. During the storms, 30 foot, 40 foot waves. I, I'm blown away the, by the power of the sea, what the ocean can do. Again, it's a demonstration of the power of God. Extremely dangerous conditions. That's how Jude sees the apostates, like the dangerous waves of the sea. Listen to this, this, this again, illustration, or this, again, Psalm 107, 23 through 30, as the psalmist you know, gives you a description of the sea. And, and, this, and, and some of these sailors, you know, they were veteran sailors, and yet they were fearful of the sea at times because it became so overwhelming and powerful. Listen to this, this description. It says, Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too, notice, they too observed the Lord's power in action, His impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, notice, the Lord spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens, you know, on those big waves, they'd go up. And then it says they were plunged down again to the depths. They would just drop down. And it says the sailors cringed in terror. Veterans of the ocean, they would cringe in terror at the mighty power of the sea. They reeled and they staggered like drunkards and were at their wits end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And the Lord saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and he stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. You see, only God can calm the storms of the seas. Only God can can, can calm the waves. The apostates seem invincible, like the power of these waves, but their ruin is a sure thing. And Job describes them as raging waves or wild, savage, fierce waves. Nobody can tame them. The apostates seem to have them in their power. Even in a lot of denominations, they are the ones who control everything, even the pastor. Because they make the policies for everything. They have and they get their own way. They have squeezed the Holy Spirit right out of the Lord's church. 
Then Jude sees them in another description, verse 13, foaming up their own shame. Foaming up their own shame. To foam at the mouth. These false teachers and apostates, they shamelessly show in word and work they are corrupt and their uncontrolled character. How many times have we seen the news reported after a storm about the trash that washes up on the shore along the beach? It's like these false teachers. You know, all they, all they spew is trash. And after a while, it, it, it just piles up. Who can tell how much damage is done to souls by these apostates as they speak trash in the church? Only God knows how much damage to the soul is done. And lastly, in verse 13, Jude compares them to wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. They're eternally doomed. Now, all stars move. And in our galaxies, there are hundreds of billions of stars, and they're all moving. They're all obeying the path that God set for them when he created them. The speed that God set for them, they follow. But the apostates, Jude compares them to wandering stars. You know, no obedience. Before the facts were known, it was believed that some stars were just doing their own thing. They were just out there wandering around and had their own paths going on. Just wandering in space, coming and traveling on their own path. This is the idea that Jude uses here to describe the apostates. You see, to Jude, they were like wandering stars that followed their own unpredictable and wrong paths. And for a little while, oh, they seem so very bright. But soon, eternal and total darkness is going to be their final end. The only future that the Bible offers those people are everlasting darkness. Nothing could be worse than to live in a chosen darkness. And people choose to live in darkness. When they reject the light of Jesus Christ, they are choosing to live in darkness. To spread that darkness to others, leading them astray. To die in darkness. To go out alone in an eerie, fearful blackness of darkness forever. Look at verses 14 14 and 15 now. Jude says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. Notice, they were predicted that they would come. Saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are, notice, ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch predicted that these ungodly men would come. And that their judgment would come as well. All we know about Enoch comes from the scriptures. Jude calls him here the seventh from Adam. So that we will know that he is the godly Enoch. Because Cain also had a son who was named Enoch as well. Now in a civilization that was quickly being polluted and destroyed by sin. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked in purity. And he kept his life clean. He also ministered as a prophet. And he announced this coming judgment. When Enoch originally gave this message. It's possible that he was also referring to the coming judgment of the flood. In Noah's time. He definitely definitely lived in an ungodly age. As we are living definitely right now in an ungodly age. Totally anti-Christ. Against Christ. Against the Bible. Against the Christian way of life. And it seemed like sinners in in Enoch's time, they were getting away with their evil ways, just as it seems today. 
But Enoch made it clear that judgment was coming. And Jesus said that judgment is coming to this world. We can thank God for his grace. We can thank God that God has not closed the doors to this age because there are still a lot of people that need to come to Jesus Christ. Because God said he was not willing that any should perish. God isn't happy when, when people die and they perish and they go to hell. I mean, that's why God hasn't shut the doors yet. I mean, how, I mean these days are evil and they are corrupt. But God's grace and his love says, hey, I want people to be saved. I want them to come to the knowledge of Christ. Again, he, he, not, Enoch definitely lived in an ungodly age. And it seemed like sinners were getting away with their evil ways, just like it seems like that today. But Enoch made it clear judgment was coming. And, and the ungodly would get the judgment that they deserve. But the final application of this prophecy is to the world in the end times, which we're living in. The same judgment that Peter wrote about in 2 Peter about the return of the Lord. Peter wrote that the day would come when false teachers would mock this prophecy that God would bring judgment. And they argued that Jesus Christ would never come. And we have those mockers today. Jesus coming back, the rapture of the church. You know, they, you believe that kind of stuff? That God, they, they said that God would never send judgment. It's coming. Again, it's because of God's grace that it hasn't happened. But their same attitude was proof that the word of God is true. Because both our Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles and the prophets said that scoffers would come. That mockers would show up in the last days. And you see people mocking Christ all the time. Mocking Christianity. Mocking the Bible. Mocking the idea of a rapture of the church when Christ would call all of the Christians home one day. Hey, he came the first time. You can believe he's going to come the second time. Enoch gave his prophecy hey, thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. And we see it coming to pass today. The mockers would come. The scoffers would come. They're here. And, and, and again. And so, again, we see the validity of the scriptures. Again, again, as, as he gave this prophecy thousand years ago, it shows us the patience of God for those who have rebelled against him. Those right now who don't want anything to do with God. God is still waiting. But that door is going to close one day. Enoch's prophecy says the coming of judgment will be a personal judgment. In other words, God's not going to send a judge, uh, someone to come and judge the world. He's not going to send a famine or a flood. He's not going to send an angel to come and do the job. God is going to judge personally. You see, this shows the seriousness of the event, and it also shows the finality of it. James chapter 5, 9, James says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And he is. He's at the threshold right now. He's at the threshold right now. Verse 16. As he goes on and talks about the apostate, Jews says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Jude now has finished his long detailed exposing of the apostates in verses 1 through 15. Now here, here he has one last look at these men's behavior. He's showing now their dedication to God, godlessness. They're dedicated to godlessness. In their walk and in their words, they show their godlessness. 
And now, again, notice how Jude just won't leave them alone. He keeps exposing them. Jude points out that he, he, he points out these men, he uses the word these, six times. He points out six times about these men. He says, first of all, they're grumblers. He says they're grumblers there in verse 16. The word grumblers means to mutter. It means to say things in a low tone. And the word suggests the muttering, the speaking under their breath about people holding a secret debate. The word carries the idea of showing discontent. These are unhappy people. And let me tell you, apart from Christ, you are going to be an unhappy person. You're only going to find temporary joy, temporary contentment. And they're complaining at this grumbliness. They're complaining about God. And here's what they blame God when things go wrong. And it's amazing how people will blame God for when things go wrong rather than looking at the choices that they make in their life. They choose against God. They go against the word of God. And when things fall apart in their life, guess what? Oh, look, look what God did to me. God did, didn't, didn't do anything to you. You made your choice. You see, we can choose our choice, but we can't choose the results. And if we would listen to the word of God, we would save ourselves a whole lot of misery in our lifetime. But they complain about God for what happens in their life, and yet they won't listen to God. They won't they won't listen to his counsel. They blame God for all the wrong. They never seem to think that maybe it's my fault. That maybe man is at fault for the bad catastrophes of the day. Secondly, in verse 16, it says they're complainers. The word complainers means to find fault with one's lot in life, to be discontented, to be whining and critical. God dealt me a bad hand. Nothing could be more contrary to the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ than a muttering, discontented spirit. It is totally destructive to the church. It is totally destructive to the family. It is totally destructive to the life of a nation. Apostates are constant complainers. They don't want the gospel themselves. They don't want the word of God. They don't want Jesus Christ. They have no use for Christ. They have no use for the gospel. But at the same time, they resent anybody else having it. Their common approach is to destroy the church from the inside. They murmur all the time and they scheme and they come against the teaching of the word of God. Third, Jude says, notice in 16, walk, they walk according to their own lusts. In other words, they constantly try to mold life according to their own desires. The word lust here means any kind of strong desire, and it almost always refers to sinful desires, that is, to the cravings of man's depraved nature. In the world, isn't that what we used to live by? Our depraved nature. I drank, I did drugs, I did whatever I wanted to do. That was my nature. It was a depraved nature. It didn't want God, it didn't want his ways, it didn't want his lifestyle. I didn't want the goodness that God had for me. I walked according to my own lust. Whatever this flesh wanted, hey, I satisfied it. I went after it. And that's what, what, that's what Jude is saying here. They walk according to their own lust. They, they, they're constantly trying to mold their life according to their own desires. Now, these apostates, they aren't your ordinary backsliders. A backslider might give in to his lust, but he can't ever be happy living in that lust. 
But an apostate, on the other hand, even though he's outgoing and promoting his own kind of religion, isn't an ordinary unsaved man. The ordinary unsaved man may feed his lust, but there's still a chance he can be saved. But an apostate rejects everything that he once knew about salvation. He tasted it. And he has deliberately rejected it so that all he has now is his own lust. Whatever form that lust might take, but he doesn't have a spiritual life because he's rejected the Holy Spirit and he's committed the Bible's unpardonable sin so he can never have spiritual life. All that he has left is lust. So he walks after it and he fulfills it and his whole life is controlled by the lust in his life. Plus, Jude says, they, they, they mouth great swelling words. In other words, they talk big. That's another way of putting it. To hear them talk, you would think they were very good examples of good Bible knowledge. They tell you who their authorities are. They quote philosophers and they write down their ideas about, uh, ideas about uh, or while putting down and weakening the Scriptures. Rejecting much more sound scholarship of those who expose their errors. Then Jude tells us that their goal is Flattering people to gain advantage. They're in verse 16. Flattering people to gain advantage. They're always flattering and catering to somebody that they think is somebody. Anybody who might help them. They, they pay great respect to those who they think can help them out. Experience and competence takes the place of the Holy Spirit. And that is what is going on today. Experience and competence takes the place of the Holy Spirit. Science, titles, degrees. Science is the God of this world today. It's taking the place of the Holy Spirit. And these apostates are better known for their great swelling words. You know, we hear these, you know, these philosophers and, and these scientists and they use these great swelling words and, and they sound, oh, so, oh, they're so right on and they've they, they got to be right. We hear all these people today speaking these great swelling words about social and political issues rather than for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these so-called, you know, educated people and uh, the advancement in science and medicine. Why is the world in such a mess today? More than ever before, if all these people are, are, are so brilliant. Because you see, it's sin. Until there's a change, man has never changed. And until Jesus Christ changes our, he never will change. And that's why this problem will go on forever. This world's going to get worse. Oh, we hear how we're progressing and we're evolving and we're getting better. No, we're not. And it's foolish just to think we are. As I've said many times, I'll say it again. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. It is a cultural problem. It is a sin problem. It is a hate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until we understand that, we'll continue on in the sin and the violence and the hatred that we see going on right now in this world. It is a sin problem, a problem of the heart. And only Jesus Christ can change a human heart. We can try, you know, programs and throwing money at this and this and that. it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It'll never work. 
because God created us. And the Bible says that he, he put eternity in our hearts. We have this, this, this God-shaped void that this world has been trying to fill with alcohol and drugs and sex and whatever, you know, meets their fancy. And that's why people are always trying. There's one experience after another, moving the boundaries, moving the borders, doing whatever comes natural. And you know what? Whenever you do what comes natural, you'll always be wrong. Until you fill that God-shaped void with the only thing that's eternal, which is Jesus Christ, you will never be satisfied. Never. You can go on fooling yourself. But pretty soon you'll come to the end, and hopefully it won't be too late. You'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Here Jude is writing about how the believer should act when apostasy and false teachers are a problem. This behavior is behavior that protects the believer from the apostates. Now verses 17 through 18. Jude says, but you, beloved, here it is. Look, here is the remedy of, 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 of again, of this behavior to protect the believer from the apostates. Verse 17, but you, beloved, remember, notice, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lusts. Notice that. Jude says, listen, church, remember the scriptures. Remember the word. Here's why, because the word of God is so important to the believer for standing true and standing strong in spite of apostasy. It is no surprise that Jude exhorts the believers to remember the word, the Bible. First, he says the source of scriptures in verse 17, he says, notice the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus committed the faith to his disciples, to his apostles. And one of the main tests in the other church was, is, what the apostle, is, is this what the apostles taught? When the church assembled the New, the New Testament books, when they put the New Testament books together, it was required that each book be written either by an apostle or by somebody closely related or associated with an apostle. Whenever somebody offers you a new revelation... When somebody comes, oh, hey, you know, I, there, there's a new revelation. There's this, this new revelation out. Test it. Here's how you do that. Did the apostles teach it in the epistles? Did Jesus teach it? If the apostles didn't teach it in the epistles, if D, D, Jesus didn't teach it, it's not new. People are always coming up with something new you'll find out real quick that their so-called new revelation is a lie. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10, nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. It's the old, same old thing that we see from hundreds of years ago. It's just wrapped in a new package and Satan delivers it in a new light. Secondly, the standard of the scriptures, Jude says there in verse uh, uh, 16 through 17 or 17 through 18, he says, remember the word. The standard is the word of God. The standard is the Bible. It's the plumb line to know whether something is right or wrong. You see, people don't have standards today. They are their standard. God's word is the standard. 
Jesus Christ is the, is the living standard. The standard is the word of God. Listen to what it said, Isaiah said in Isaiah 8.20. He said, look to the law, which is the word of God, and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. They're in darkness. Without the light of Jesus Christ, people are living in darkness. We have to know the scriptures in order to expose the apostates' false teaching. Then the, re- the revealing, by the, uh, revealing by the scriptures. The scriptures foretold. They prophesied that other apostates would come. And the Bible foretold of their character. The scriptures duly warned. The Bible duly warned about the apostates. Verse 18, notice what it says about them. They predicted they're going to be mockers. And you know what? When the enemy lacks facts, all they can do is mock. Have you noticed that? When you witness the gospel of people that don't know the Lord, they will mock you. You can't really believe the Bible. It was written by a man. They come up with all the pat answers the world has given them, or they get angry. I remember wanting to push somebody off a balcony when they tried sharing Jesus Christ with me. Oh, I had my religion. They were just wanting to share Jesus Christ with the love of Christ. And because I couldn't answer them, I couldn't argue with them, and I didn't want to hear I got mad. And that's the way the world is. They mock you or they get angry with you. And you see that in the scriptures when Jesus was preaching the gospel and the crowds were there. It said some went away angry and some went away believing. Why? Nothing changes a man's heart. Two thousands of years ago, they were doing the same thing they're doing today. They were either believing or getting angry. I don't want to hear about your Jesus. I don't want to hear about the Bible. Because they have been so deceived and they will argue about something they have no knowledge about i love that when you share the gospel they'll start they'll come up with what i go how long did you how long did it take you to learn that well they didn't they will argue the most important thing in their life without knowing anything about it and they'll reject it without knowing anything about it and yet when they make big decisions in their life about other things Oh, they will do research. They won't take your word. They'll study. They'll research it before they make an educated decision. But when it comes to the most important thing in your life, do I or do not accept Jesus Christ? They don't study it. They just go by what the world tells them. And lose out in the most important thing in their life, Jesus Christ. The Bible said mockers are going to come. And they're going to mock and they're going to scoff. Second, he said they're defiled. It says again, they walk according to their own lust. Bad doctrine leads to bad behavior. Bad input, bad output. In closing, verse 19. These, notice, they are sensual persons who cause divisions because they don't have the Spirit of God. They're divisive. These apostates divide churches. They try to break the unity of believers. The apostates are degraded. They're sensual, it says here. This means they behave themselves by natural humanistic thinking, by their physical appetites. You see, and that's why you see man the way he is today. Because you know what? They've, they've been taken in by evolution. They've been taken in by evolution. They, they believe they came from animals, thus they act like animals. 
very simple. And so, again, just degraded, sensual, behave by natural instinct, just like an animal, led by their physical appetites, not by spiritual thinking. They're damned. It says here, notice, not having the Spirit. Paul said in Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You cannot belong to God without, without having the Spirit of God. The apostates are not saved people, so they're damned eternally. So Jude characterizes the apostates as people who created divisions in the church. Deceptively, they claim to have the Spirit. They, oh, they said they have the Spirit. They said they were morally free when it came to their behavior. That's what's so funny, too. You know, people that aren't Christians think that we as Christians, we're the ones who are enslaved, that we're not free. We're bound by this. We're bound. It's such the opposite. In the world, I drank and I was doing drugs because I thought I was free. <laughs> but then when I found out I wanted to get off of them, whoa, I wasn't so free. But then when Christ came into my life, he truly set me free. Didn't want to do them anymore. Didn't need them anymore. Why? Because I had something that was much better than those, those, those stimulants. Something that says, hey, I don't need to go back to that. I don't want to go back to that stuff. Most likely these that, that Jude was talking to probably said, you know, that, that, you know, that they, they felt they had the spirit. But Jude turns the tables on him. He says of the apostates, you follow nothing more than your natural instincts and you don't have the Holy Spirit. These people are apostates. And in just a few words, Jude has put the godless men in their place. You don't have the Spirit of God. Doesn't matter how spiritual you sound. Doesn't matter how much a person knows about the Bible. It doesn't matter how much they go to church. If they don't have Jesus Christ, they are none of his. They follow nothing more than their natural in instincts. They have no part in the church because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God. So this ends Jude's main part of his letter. And yet, Jude still has six verses to go. And he urges and exhorts all true believers to take a firm stand for the truth of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful book that you've left us, God. This standard, Father, that is the standard of all men, regardless of whether they want to admit it or not, Lord. And Father, I do pray that your spirit, God, has spoken to hearts this morning, Lord. And Father, this is your word. This is what you left for us, God. Father, that we might know the truth that we might not be fooled and misled by this world and their worldly philosophies and all the preconceived notions and ideas that we have just a foolish a foolishness as the world as, as the scripture says the, the fool says in his heart there is no god lord we pray that your spirit is just Spoken to hearts this morning, Lord. The worship team's going to lead us in a song of worship right now.
And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've been a believer of this world's philosophies and the foolishness that it espouses, we pray that the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart and He's opened your eyes. And you recognize the truth of God's word. That apart from him, I can do nothing. And I have a God-shaped void that is empty. Empty of God. And that my life is led by my natural desires, my flesh, my lust, my cravings. And that I'm not free. As we worship... If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get up out of your seat, you make your way towards the steps up front, I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray a simple prayer of faith together.